you're going through a, a difficult time, keep going, right? <laughs> because of course you're gonna get through it. Of course you're gonna get through it. And if you believe you can, you will. Because we weren't meant to stay stuck. We're, that's just not how we're built. Welcome to Bold Breakthroughs. Today we're excited to have water systems entrepreneur and success, Agbor Agbor with us. And I've become quick and great friends with him. He is so likable. You're going to love his story. Uh, you may notice that we're out in a strange place. This is his professional domain. He does not just sit in an ivory tower leading a sales force or an operation. He rolls up his sleeves and he goes door to door and sets the tone and sets the standard. And so he goes into different cities, into different parts of the valley that you'll see behind him and by me into these residential areas that are developing. And he improves hard water and he has made a life for himself here in the United States coming from Nigeria. So we are excited to be in this environment. It's cold, we're outside, and this gives you a taste of what he gets to face for the next three months. Welcome to Bold Breakthroughs that unstick work and life. I'm Mark Cook, New York Times bestselling innovator. Each week I offer keynotes that engage thousands, and teams embed me weekly to unstick tech pivots, sales prospects, and ops constraints. We roll up our sleeves in small groups to create breakthroughs on top priorities for each individual, in person or via Zoom. Nine global studies of over two million successes fueled my 4,000 wins at top brands. I've shared rapid innovation in over 50 cities worldwide. Teams create revenue breakthroughs and clients see new profits. Thank you for listening and inspiring your breakthrough today. So we're glad to be with you, Agbor. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful, Mark. Agbor, I love hearing you describe what you are here in this life. And so I'm going to have you introduce yourself. Thank you very much, Mark. Smile. As Mark has already stated, my name is Agbor Agbor. I'm actually originally from Nigeria. My family moved here to the United States in 1982 uh, to pursue education. Um, we were initially going to be here in the United States for just four years, but I guess America kind of grew on us. And so uh, we decided to uh, make this our home. And so uh, we've lived here, I've grown up here, and um, now I'm an entrepreneur and I'm trying to make a difference in our world. And a lot of times on this podcast, this video cast, I, I actually have a couple of quotes, but I'd like to hear, because I know that you love quotes, I want to hear one of your favorite quotes and just explain why it's your favorite, what it means to you. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes was uh, shared by uh, President Abraham Lincoln, and he says, one of the greatest ways to predict your future is to create it. And the reason why I like that is because there's a lot of people that are just waiting for things to happen. But unfortunately, if you're just waiting, most of the things that you are anticipating happening will not come to pass unless you actually do something to help it come to pass. And so I like that because it kind of gives us all an opportunity to be able to start at the same plane, same spot, and we can move as quickly as we can, and we can create as quickly as we can. And it's all up to us. And that, to me, is very fair. Oh, I love that. And you, you picked a great person to, to quote. I look at life. I, I hear a lot of times people dissect life and separate work and personal. I think life is life. And, and if we're good people, we should be good people in all contexts of life. But there are a few places we find ourselves. We find ourselves in kind of a personal situation with family, maybe. We find ourselves at work professionally. And then some people have a very spiritual life. And even if they don't, those other people definitely have a thoughtful, introspective way of approaching uh, pursuit of a life. And none of those three areas of life really get very far without relationships. Every single one requires us to build and, and start and finish relationships. So I was really interested in having you on this podcast and this video because I think you have a very interesting set of circumstances where you've kind of been stuck in each three areas 
and you've kind of created amazing breakthrough successes in all three areas to me and uh, I don't think you've ever had any problem with relationships having talked to you and listened to your history. I, I know that you're good at that. So I want to start uh, where, where it's personal. I want you to go back when you were as young as you can remember, when things were in your homeland. Tell us a little bit about your homeland and tell us what was good about it. Tell us when things were okay. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's interesting uh, perspectives that we have in life. So growing up, uh, we were extraordinarily poor, okay? I remember uh, my mother was an educator. She was a school teacher. And I, when I was probably about six or seven, of course, I thought everything was great because uh, I lived in a community where everybody was poor. So <laughs> there was nothing really to look forward to or to envy of anybody else. But one day I, I saw my mother crying and, and I asked her, I said, I said, Mom, what's wrong? And she says, oh, nothing, nothing. And she kept weeping. And I said, I said, Mom, what's wrong? And uh, she just kept crying. And I, and I said, Mom, what is wrong? And she says, well, I, I've been crying just because I don't know what I'm going to feed you boys tomorrow. Right? And so those are our circumstances that we were in. But of course, as a little child, because of our lack of uh, understanding, we just think all is well. Right? And so... Um, at that time, my father was actually um, here in the United States attending uh, a school, trying to get his education before we were able to uh, be united with him a couple of years later. So, uh, I, of course, coming here, I, I felt as if we had made it. We moved uh, into a three, I think a three or four hundred square foot apartment. I couldn't believe we had actually electricity all day. We had television all day. <laughs> uh, we had indoor plumbing, running water, and all that stuff. Things that people generally would take for granted here, but to us, we felt as if we had made it, and it was unbelievable. Go back early again, back when you're still in your, your homeland, and, and, and tell us a little bit about that setting and, and any good feeling that you remember about that. In Nigeria, family is everything. Um, and so I had some very strong uh, familial connections, which, of course, made my life great. Um, uh, something that really stood out to me as far as uh, familial relationships and so on and so forth is how much everybody cared for one another. And we truly, uh, we truly uh, believed in the, uh, I think it's axiom, you'd say in the English language, um, that it takes a community to raise a child. Um, in Nigeria, it's, it's, it's so interesting because anybody that is maybe five, six, seven years older than you, you call them uncle, right? And so it wasn't a situation where you just call somebody Mark or John or Bill or Mary or what, you just call them uncle. And I love that because wherever you were, you were safe, right? Because everybody's basically family. Um, but again, uh, with that same mindset, uh, anybody's allowed to punish you because everybody's family. <laughs> and so if a child was, uh, was uh, acting up in any kind of a way, any neighbor is uh, actually permitted and encouraged to uh, punish that child so that that child um, stays in line as to how they were supposed to be behaving. And so, um, but I did have some wonderful experiences. I, I remember one experience which maybe doesn't necessarily have to do with uh, business, but it was, it was an experience that kind of changed my outlook. So um, let me give you more of a, uh, some background. So my mother uh, was four foot six, okay? Uh, my father's five foot eight, and I remember uh, being young and my uncle picking me up and putting me on his shoulder, and I felt so tall. I, I couldn't believe how tall I felt. And so from then on, I wanted to be tall. <laughs> and so, uh, so from then on, I would sleep stretching. I would, um, I would um, hang off of branches and whatnot because I wanted to be tall. Well, I'm six foot one today. And uh, back then, my little brothers would always be, you know, laughing at me, saying I'm, you know, just a fool and so on and so forth. Well, they're all five foot six. So, <laughs> so again, that was just a, a tiny little gem uh, in my life. And, and again, uh, it doesn't have to do with a business per se, but at the same time, though, it has to do with some faith. 
right? And you kind of need a little bit of faith to be able to grow your business and to be able to succeed. Yeah, and I think the personal and all the aspects of life affect what you're trying to do for others in a professional daytime, primetime way. So it, it all is relevant here at Bold Breakthroughs. I, I wonder if you could share during that time when you were contemplating a change to country, some of your more personal, difficult, like there's something big going on here. And don't jump ahead yet, but just tell us in that moment what that big change was feeling like. Okay, so to us, though, we, we really didn't know what to anticipate uh, coming to America. We just knew uh, what we saw on television about America. Um, and again, our perspective was that basically everybody was rich. <laughs> and so because of that, um, of course, who doesn't want to go to a place that um, has a lot of wealth? You know, that we were looking forward to that. Um, uh, something kind of funny that just jumped into my mind. Um, in as much as up to that point, we'd never been on an airplane. Okay. So um, I remember my friends warning me. They said, if you're in an airplane, they're gonna tie you down with ropes to make sure that you don't move because any wrong movement would cause the plane to crash. <laughs> so <laughs> again, um, you know, things to uh, anticipate that, of course, were not uh, truths. But uh, I, I remember thinking about that. Um, I remember uh, hearing that uh, in in America, it's basically the land of milk and honey, right? And you don't really have to work because, of course, on television, nobody works, right? <laughs> Everybody's movie stars and everybody has what they want and so on and so forth. Okay, now, a fallacy that um, I'd heard about uh, that, of course, we believed wholeheartedly was that in America, every woman had a gun in her purse. And therefore, <laughs> you've got to be very careful as to how you treat women. And, of course, it is true that you need to be very careful as to how you treat women because you need to treat them with great respect and stuff. But... I'm glad to know that not every woman has a gun in her purse. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, you know, I, I can't help but just point out your belief that every single person in the United States is rich and, and here we go. We're going to go have, take it easy and then con contrast that to your professional life and how hard you've worked as I've listened to your story from you. Uh, but before we get to that side of life, I want to keep going on the personal just for a minute. And, and tell me a little bit about that, that landing. You've been on the plane, you weren't roped up, it worked out, no one crashed, but you arrive and, and maybe that challenging initial realization that you're in a new reality. What, what was, describe that a little bit. Yeah, we, uh, it was quite the adjustment, okay? Because uh, growing up in Nigeria, we, uh, we spoke, uh, we learned the British English uh, in school, which is uh, a little bit different than um, the English here in the United States. Um, and so I remember not wanting to speak uh, just because, um, first of all, certain words are different, like the trunk and the boot uh, of a car and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, not knowing what everything was called, because again, if you not if you don't grow up having um, indoor plumbing and all these things that we take for granted, you don't know what everything is called. <laughs> and so, uh, so I grew up, and and again, I was initially shy by nature. Period. Right. And so, when the language barrier was uh, introduced to me, this new language barrier, um, it caused me to be a little bit more shy. So, because I didn't want to. Um, of course, call things the wrong name or, or act as if uh, I didn't know what it was. And, and in reality, oftentimes, I didn't know what certain things were and so um, or what to call them. Therefore, it was easier to just stay quiet and stay silent. Right. And so um, those were some of the things that I had to adjust to. And then the process of time, of course, as I uh, became a little bit uh, more adept uh, as far as being able to speak the English language, of course, that uh, gave me a little bit more confidence <laughs> and I was able to make my way uh, a little bit easier. You moved here for school, but tell me a little bit about your education and, and how you transitioned after coming here and, and deciding what to do first. Not, not now, but whatever was first. So in Nigeria, uh, let's say there were 30 people in a classroom. Everybody is numbered from the, the smartest student would be number one in the class. So instead of getting an A or B or C or whatever, 
the smartest student uh, or most proficient or whatever would get number one in the class, and then number two, and so on and so forth. And so, um, so in Nigeria, I was generally number one and number two in my classes because I, you know, I did pretty well. When I came over here to the United States, of course, because of the language barrier and so on and so forth, and how things were different. I mean, again, I was trying to catch up, right? Um, so I, uh, I remember they put me in the resource classes, right? <laughs> again, uh, but not only that, and I, I think maybe I should have been in the resource classes because um, I actually was dyslexic and I didn't know. I just found out that I was dyslexic like four years ago. <laughs> so, and so, so uh, school was quite difficult. Um, and then uh, in the process of time, as, uh, as I got into uh, high school and, and whatnot, uh, it was even more difficult. But by that time, uh, my parents had divorced. And so actually, I should say in my freshman years was when they uh, divorced. And they separated and then they divorced. But there wasn't somebody there to shepherd me through the schooling process. And so I didn't do as well as I could do in school. So my mother was working various jobs to try to uh, feed our, us boys. And so, um, so I just took school for granted. And so uh, in the process of time, I graduated school, uh, went on a, a, a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. After that, I, I learned how to study. <laughs> and so I was able to do much better in school. But at the same time, though, uh, it's interesting how if you grow up poor, you cannot think as poor people think, right? <laughs> and as you associate with people with, um, with a little bit more wealth, you tend to think how they think, right? And I remember, um, uh, again, just to, to give you some background as to how my life was as far as my experiences as in, in comparison to what it is now. I remember, uh, like I had mentioned before, we grew up in a, a three to 400 square foot apartment. So I go on my mission, and while I was on my mission, the first day there, we, we went to have dinner at um, somebody's home, and they lived in a double-wide trailer. And I remember walking in and looking around and thinking, wow, someday, someday. <laughs> and again, that was a double-wide trailer. I couldn't believe how much space there was, right? And, and I remember thinking, and again, coming from my poor background, uh, financially uh, poor uh, background, I remember thinking that if I could ever make $1,000 a month uh, working, that my wife would never have to work, right? <laughs> so, so needless to say, my, my goals were set very, very low. Okay? But for me at the time, they were extraordinarily high because, I, again, I didn't know anybody that made more than $1,000 a month. Okay? <laughs> so, and again, this is as a 19-year-old, right? And so um, after I, I um, uh, got home from my mission, uh, I started working and um, going to school. And at the time, I was making about $600 a month. And I thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> life is great. And, um, and I, I basically thought I had made it, per se. And again, um, coming from the background of, uh, of poverty. Now, um, in the process of time, I had a, the opportunity to go to some kind of a seminar, and there was an individual that was making, you know, six figures a month, and all that that mind that thought had just never entered my mind that you could actually make an incredible amount of money like that, and so um, I remember thinking to myself, if this individual could make that much money, well, why couldn't I? And so. Um, it helped me change my uh, perspective, and I started uh, focusing on wanting to make more and more money. And uh, I'm grateful that I had that opportunity to be able to meet that gentleman and, and uh, meet other people that uh, were able to succeed. And this individual was also an entrepreneur. And um, so since then, um, I think I'm making a little bit more than $1,000 a month now. <laughs> just barely. <laughs> barely. <laughs> Before we jump to that success, I want to I just kind of stay back uh, early with your third aspect of life. You're a pretty spiritual person. Was there a time that you weren't? Actually, I, uh, there was never a time that I wasn't spiritual. And let me tell you why. So um, my mother, before she met my father, was actually... Um, uh, very heavily involved with the Catholic Church. 
And she decided that the best way that she could serve the Lord is to become a nun. And so she was going through nunnery school, right? And uh, she was just getting ready to graduate when my father came into the picture. And my father uh, was very interested in dating her. So, uh, but she didn't want anything to do with him. But my father, I, I think, uh, he, was, he was pretty smart. So he approached my grandmother and said to her, you, you do understand that if she graduates, you will never have grandchildren. <laughs> and so my grandmother said, I never thought of that. <laughs> so they persuaded her to drop out and then uh, they uh, started dating and then eventually they got married. So because of her uh, um, love for the Lord and gospel and so on and so forth, uh, we and I learned at a very early age to trust in the Lord. And so I remember uh, my earliest thought as to if the question was asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember my, my earliest thought way back then was to be an altar boy, you know, in the Catholic Church. And so um, I had always been uh, spiritually minded ever since. And so uh, when, I, I, when we came to the United States, nothing changed. I had a great belief and a great reliance on the Lord. And, um, and I believe everybody can. And uh, with his help, we can overcome anything. All right, that's great. So just to paint the picture, so earlier in your life, if I've understood you correctly, you are pretty young and it, your family is arriving and in the United States from Nigeria. And there's some, there's some turmoil. You're facing a new culture. You don't want to speak the language, even though you know most of it, because you don't want to make mistakes in between the words that we've changed here in the United States. And uh, you're, you're probably acting shy. No, I can tell you're not shy, or not even then. But, but, but you were probably a little shy because of those things in, a, in an unfamiliar circumstance. Uh, there had to be some tension going on between mom and dad because they didn't end up together. And you were in remedial classes and you were having to rely on some faith, it sounds like. But what then did you decide to do to get into that double wide trailer, so to speak? Like, What made you say things can get better than this? Things can become unstuck? Uh, another belief, maybe another quote that I really enjoy um, uh, maybe remind, reminding myself of, and it, that's uh, the quote by uh, President uh, Calvin Coolidge, where he says, um, he says, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. There is nothing more common than unrewarded talent. Education alone will not. The world is full of educated failures. Persistence alone is omnipotent. Okay. So I can say, and I can tell you, I'm a very persistent individual, right? And again, going back to the mindset of if somebody can do it, well, why can't I? Okay. And so, um, so uh, I, I don't think I actually went into the workforce with um, a great desire to be able to change the world, per se. Um, I just wanted to be able to make more money and to be able to take care of my family. But what I realized is that the more I worked and the more I earned, the more confidence I gained and the more ability I gained as well. So much so that I started uh, kind of uh, envisioning where I could be, right? So I went from $1,000 a month, that's my goal, to I can do more. And you know what, I can do even more until, until I, I got to a point where I started thinking, well, I can actually start my own business. <laughs> and so when I started uh, my own business, when I got to that point, of course, it was challenging initially. And, uh, and the business had its ups and downs, and, uh, but because we persevered and because we persisted, uh, we were able to uh, overcome uh, the difficulties that um, were before us, and we were able to excel. Now, if I could give you any kind of a, a business tip, if you're ever going to start a business, it's this. Um, it's, it's a practice that I incorporated, but I, uh, I was taught by... Um, um, uh, Mr. Huntsman, I can't remember what his first name is, um, but he had shared this. He said, if you're going to start a business, he says, first of all, the reason why businesses fail is because they are undercapitalized. And he said, most people end up uh, losing their businesses because they pay for their own mistakes. He says, if you're going to start a business, 
you've got to have somebody else pay for your mistakes. And, uh, um, and the way to do that is that you go and you work for, like let's say I wanted to start up a McDonald's franchise, okay? I will go and I will work at McDonald's for two, three, four, five years. When I learn all the ins and outs, I've made the mistakes here and there, and um, the ownership has paid for those mistakes, then I branch off and I, I do my own thing. Because again, I have had somebody else pay for my mistakes. So if I had that maybe $100,000 um, for my capital, now that 100000 is actually a million dollars now because I'm going to make less mistakes. And that's basically what I did is uh, I worked for um, a particular company for five years. And then after that, I decided to branch off and do my own thing. But again, they paid for my mistakes. And because of that, uh, I was able to succeed, succeed that much uh, quicker. So look for a mentorship, find something where you can, can be a, a junior executive and, and learn how to lead something and uh, do the best you can. Absolutely. Add tremendous value, but in some cases you do make mistakes in life. And so uh, that's great advice, actually. It's really key. Um, so let's stay early, but you, you've started a business. Now, I describe you as a water system entrepreneur and success. Were, were you in water systems at that time? Or were you doing something totally different? No, um, so that is actually um, the only thing I've done, <laughs> really, of, of note. Um, but I had worked for a, a particular company as a marketer for the company. That's what I got my degree in, is marketing, as a marketer for about five years. And I had a business partner that um, was working in that same, actually, I had a, an associate that worked um, at that same company. And he was um, uh, working in sales and again, sales and marketing. And so uh, as we worked together, um, we had talked about someday breaking off and doing our own thing, right? Because I knew that, uh, that my associate could sell and he knew that I could market. And so we thought if we were to start up our own business, then of course, uh, there's a great probability that we would actually succeed. And so after we had... Uh, Again, worked for that company, like I said, about five years. Then we broke off and we started our own company. So we were just selling water softeners. Oh, okay. So it was right in that same space. You Absolutely. said you hadn't left. It was right, right in it. Absolutely. Okay. When you're climbing a hill, most stories, including yours probably, uh, have a slip. You're, you're not at the top yet. I don't want to get jump to the top yet, but you had some slips early on. What were your big slips with that startup? So we actually, we hit the ground running, <laughs> so, uh, but I will tell you about a, a huge slip that, that happened in the process of time. Okay, so because somebody else had paid for our mistakes, um, I remember uh, I, I, uh, I had $20,000 right, in the bank and um, my associate, um, who, which became my business partner, had 20000 and in our first six weeks, we did like 60000 in business, right? So, so we were able to um, just keep uh, the business churning, right? And, uh, and that would not have happened if we didn't have somebody else pay for our mistakes. But then in the process of time, as, as uh, life was uh, as good as can be, of course, the economy uh, went bad in 2008, 2009. And uh, we had, uh, I had quite a bit of savings because I just didn't buy a lot of toys and so on and so forth. I was saving my money as we were flourishing. Uh, but uh, my uh, associate, my business partner, just, um, I, I, I just couldn't figure out how he was making money. But <laughs> come to find out, you know, there was uh, some misappropriation of funds, we could say. <laughs> <laughs> that was happening. So in the process of time, um, uh, not only are we, were we not doing a lot of business because of um, the uh, financial climate at the time, uh, the economy was really, really uh, bad at the time. But um, uh, uh, so we went from maybe 100% of business to down to doing less than 5%. <laughs> so, so it was just extremely difficult to, to keep going. But then, of course, we find out about the misappropriation of funds situation that was going on with my um, business partner, and that was a big time low. And um, and I, I I must say the IRS is not your friend. <laughs> so, so after we had found out that um, 
uh, this situation was was happening with my business partner. Um, uh, he was kicked out of the company. I took uh, sole possession of the company. I contacted the IRS to let them know that um, what had been happening, and that uh, they said, "Great, thank you for letting us know. Uh, we'll work with you to be able to recoup a lot of the funds that um, were supposed to be paid in taxes, but uh, he had pocketed." So, um, and then uh, about a week later, the IRS just wiped out all of our accounts. <laughs> they took everything, right? And so we we were in dire straits per se. I mean, we had no money. And so we didn't even have money to be able to continue the, the business. So I approached the IRS and I said, uh, you know, we talked to you about what was going on. We came forward and we were honest and we don't understand why you just wiped out our accounts and they said well we don't believe that you'll be able to make enough money to pay us back so we decided to take what we can right? so then um, I went and I, I applied for a business loan and got a pretty sizable loan and um, placed back into our accounts and a week later the IRS took that as well <laughs> and so uh, again um, we were uh, and, that, and what is so interesting is I remember one particular uh, moment as we were going through this difficult um, situation. Uh, my wife had said to me, would you please go and just get uh, a loaf of bread, some cheese, and maybe some milk? And I remember going to the store and I picked up a loaf of bread, some cheese, and some milk. And my credit card wouldn't work, right? Because again, less than $10 is all. <laughs> But, but my credit card wouldn't work. And again, that was our experience for many, many months right? as we were struggling. And of course, um, there was always the, the mindset to maybe we should lay off some employees or so on and so forth. But you know what? Our employees are our family. Relationships are everything, especially in business. And so um, everybody was patient as we were trying to work our way through uh, that difficult circumstance. And eventually, we were able to get through it, and life is great. And we still have all of our employees that uh, stuck with us. They are still family. Amazing. That wow, that's a, that's a very difficult obstacle. Yeah. That's truly being stuck. <laughs> Before we progress in that aspect of your life, beyond that, on the professional side, uh, I sense that we're that we're getting ahead of the personal a little bit. So you arrive here. There's tumultuous family situations and I, I don't want to delve where we're not welcome to hear but I'd love for you to share some of the challenges you faced within your your childhood family and then some pretty difficult circumstances whatever you think is appropriate uh, in your own family uh, before you got through some of those things yeah so um, the greatest challenge I think that we had um, so um, again uh, hearkening back uh, to Nigeria. So uh, when we grew up, the men rule everything, right? And so when we came here, you know, of course, it's a little bit different here. You know, it's, it's more balanced and even and so on and so forth. And so um, the more my mother would get recognized for her accomplishments and stuff, the more I think my father took offense to that, right? And so he ended up being just uh, extraordinarily uh, abusive physically, verbally, and, and whatnot to our family, to all of us, right? Especially our mother and so on and so forth. And so um, it, and I, and which is sad because I grew up always saying someday when I grow up, I want to be just like my father, <laughs> right? And, and then, of course, as my eyes were opening and I was able to see him for who he was, I realized that's not who I want to be. <laughs> And so, so I think that's probably our, our biggest challenge. And then as soon as he was out of the picture, then it kind of caused me to have to mature a little bit faster than I needed to, uh, that I, I would have otherwise, I should say. And so because I had to take the role of the man in the, um, in the house, because of course I was the oldest. And so, um, you know, uh, we all had to basically pitch in to be able to uh, meet the needs of the family. What uh, is your relationship like with your father, that previous childhood context that was traditional and, and now you're coming here to something, you know, we have a long way to go in this country, but it's, it's a little more modern. T tell me what your relationship is like with him. For many, many years, I would say for more than 20 years, okay, when Father's Day would come by, the thought of me 
contact him never entered my mind. Not even once. Okay, <laughs> just because he just he was not a part of my life, and 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 um, and so it is just. I just, I, uh, like I said, the thought just never entered my mind to call him to wish him a happy Father's Day or anything like that. Um, and and our, our relationship was very rocky. Um, again, he lives in a different state now. But um, so much so that even on, I mean, while he was still living uh, here uh, close to us, he didn't even come to our wedding, right? <laughs> so, which, which is fine uh, when I married my wife. But, um, but I must... Uh, say in the last five years, our um, relationship is great now. Okay, he calls me. I mean, it's just he calls me. He treats me like I should have been treating him, right? Like he'll call me to wish me a happy Father's Day. He'll call to wish me a um, Merry Christmas. He'll call to wish me a happy birthday, and so on and so forth. And so our relationship is so different now. And and I actually I look forward to talking to him. It's just different now. <laughs> and I think it's it's probably uh, again my perspective has changed again, right? Uh, because now I'm a father, and um, and I realize that nobody's perfect, and so on and so forth. But um, uh, again, unfortunately, my children have never met him. And uh, but again, in the process of time, I think probably this upcoming year we'll uh, either fly him out or, or we'll fly and go have him in, uh, introduced to his grandchildren and that kind of a thing. So things are a lot better. And, I, and I, uh, again, I think what made the change take place is because my father decided to humble himself and then he started reaching out and started making the effort, right? And uh, which, of course, you know, changed everything. Well, maybe even modeled how, like you said, how, how anyone should be. Um, but what, let me just ask you a very personal question. Okay. Was he abusive towards you and your mother? Oh, everyone? Yeah. So towards everyone in the family. Maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was a he rough was... time for mentally for him and he, yeah. he just let everyone have it physically and absolutely. And yeah. and mentally it sounds like. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's a lot to forgive. I I don't know if you've completely forgiven him. I'm not I'm not assuming that, but you sound very peaceful and calm about this compared to how many would right in the moment. So that, that change, whether you call that forgiveness or not, you've come a long way in how you view and feel about this. How have you done that? You know what? Okay. First of all, I think time has a, a, a way of healing um, anybody and everything. If you'll let it. And of course, whatever we dwell upon uh, will often eat away at us, right? And, and I think just because of the, the um, absence of him in my life and because he wasn't the focus and therefore I didn't have to relive uh, the difficulties and so on and so forth, that also added in the, in the process of healing for me. And so, and then the reality that um, he was actually making an effort. Like for instance, um, in Nigeria, you would never see that where a parent goes to their child and says, forgive me. It, it just, it does not happen, right? And so, I, again, I knew that as he was calling and he was apologizing and trying to make things right, I, I, I knew that he was being sincere. And uh, to be honest, I am actually surprised as to how much I actually care for him. I just, I want him to be happy, right? Um, and I know that, you know, the life I live is uh, probably better than his dream life. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that helps. And, and again, if I was struggling and so on and so forth financially and everything, then it would be, uh, I might have that sense of, he did this to me, you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. But, but again, I just, I really can honestly say that I have 100% forgiven given him and uh, now my wife that's a different story <laughs> <laughs> well we she's not here to, to, to talk or defend herself so Absolutely. maybe that'll be the next episode yeah. but I I truly I want him to be happy right and because um, I'm happy and and my needs are met and and uh, to me you know I, I had learned some great lessons growing up um, those uh, lessons are still with me because I learned how I did not want to be and and uh, and I'm a different person than I'm glad for it. Isn't that true? I mean, you know, you go through a lot of life. I, I have nothing. I have wonderful, wonderful parents. They've both been deceased for quite some time. My dad passed away when I just turned from 14 to 15. And, and yet you still pick little things and, and look negatively on them, even with an amazing, fortunate situation that I had. 
but um, you know, losing it was hard, and, and you have some anger about that. But it's interesting as, as you go through some decades and have your own children, you it, I can't even articulate it, but it's a strange type of learning where you're even grateful for those things because even what is a mistake is a lesson to you, not just the modeling that you're so grateful for. And, and so everything turns out to be a potential lesson. It's really, really a great message that you're sharing right there. Um, so what else helped you? I mean, just, just anything else that helped you get over those feelings? Those are deep, hard feelings. Anything else? Yeah, so I just, I just think, um, again, going back to the religious aspect of things, I always had uh, wonderful role, male role models uh, to look up to, always. And, and, I, and I think, you know, probably the easiest way to overcome anything is to replace it with something else, right? Um, instead of just, again, just trying to mentally block things out, but just replace. And so there were people that I looked up to, people that I wanted to be like, and people that, that mentored me, you know, um, in uh, the spiritual aspect of my life, of course, and also business and all of that. And, and because of that, I, I have a much better experience. And, and that's why it's, it's, it's so necessary for us to be able to help out others as we can. Uh, because uh, nobody ever gets uh, from point A to point B all by themselves. Because there's always somebody there that can uh, and does generally lend a hand, either teachers or uh, whatnot, um, uh, to help us be able to be uh, successful or get where we want to get. And again, if we can do the same, uh, for others, then it just makes their life that much better and sweeter. Wow, that's beautiful. You, I already knew you were a better man than you, but that's really <laughs> remarkable. I, so any, before we move on to some, some of your successes, what was there anything anything else you wanted to share in your personal life that was really challenging and, and, and had you stuck? Maybe not stuck, uh, but it's just, it's interesting, you know, being, um, uh, being a minority. <laughs> you know, there's, uh, there was always the the doubters, right? Especially going into business. And, and again, I had a really good relationship with uh, the company that I had worked for in the uh, water business before I left. But there were people that would say, you know, you're black and, you know, you're, you're in a minority, so we'll see you in a couple of months, <laughs> right? And so, and again, to me, that fueled my desire to succeed. And so what could have been a stumbling block or something that would cause me to um, to want to quit. I just it it fueled me to succeed, and um, and I to me I could not have uh, grown my business in a better environment than here because again everybody um, pays attention to what I do, <laughs> right? Because uh, uh, because I'm a minority and so because I'm different and so uh, so I can't just do something this good. I have to do it this good, right? And that way, uh, it's better than people anticipate. And of course, uh, building relationships and um, will also, uh, I should say, building um, good business relationships and also personal relationships uh, gets the word out. You know, that black guy, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> Sagbar, is there anything else before we leave some of the, the challenges you've faced uh, in your personal life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, about one year into our marriage, um, uh, my wife, well, maybe I can give you a little bit of background. So she was born with a heart murmur. Um, and then a year after our marriage, uh, we found out that she needed some open heart surgery. At that time, I think I'm probably about 23, going on 24. Wow. <laughs> so just a young little guy. And uh, so we went and uh, she had open heart surgery. It was... Uh, it was not your normal surgery as they have today, but they had to saw her chest uh, in two and, and open up uh, the cavity there. And, and uh, they ended up uh, sewing, uh, I think they found like six holes uh, in her heart that they had to sew up. And so every time her heart was beating, it was just spewing out blood and stuff. And so uh, again, a yeah, great challenge, great, great challenge. And of course, we felt uh, the financial impact of that, <laughs> you know, quite a while, for quite a while. And again, we were able to overcome that. What else? Anything else in that time period before we get into your successes? Yeah. So we had a bout with my becoming a citizen of the United States shortly after we were married. Because we were, my family was here in the United States 
on a school visa. So we were able to uh, you know, attend school and we were here legally and all that stuff. Um, and then in the process of time, we worked on becoming, uh, getting green cards. And in the process uh, of becoming, obtaining our green cards, we had some issues. And so after I got married, uh, one of our family friends that was an attorney uh, volunteered to uh, help uh, me become a citizen by getting my green card and so on and so forth. And so we took him up on that, became uh, a green card uh, carrier. Unfortunately, uh, my wife being extraordinarily patriotic and stuff, she said, you know, we need to get you voting now that you've got your green card. <laughs> and of course, unbeknownst to us, uh, you're not supposed to vote. <laughs> A permanent resident, which is of course what is a, a, a what a green card holder is, is a permanent resident, and a permanent resident can do everything that a citizen of the United States uh, can, except for vote and also be president of the United States. <laughs> Those are the two things you cannot do. So, we'll get that second one next. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> give me time. <laughs> she, we went to go um, register to vote, and um, and in the application it said, uh, "Have you ever claimed to be a citizen of the United States?" And of course. I said no. And then it said, um, are you a citizen of the United States? And I left that blank because I wasn't sure where we were in the process of my becoming a citizen. So I just left that blank. And I turned in the application. And uh, so the elections come, and this is like in um, 1996 or so. Uh, and my wife goes and votes. And as she was voting, one of our neighbors happened to be helping at the booths there. And they said to my wife, where is Agbor? And she says, oh, uh, I don't think he's been approved to vote yet. And, and the neighbor said, well, look right here. His name is right here. Tell him he needs to come and vote. <laughs> so, so of course, she drives home, picks me up. I come and I start voting. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, there is a very stern penalty associated with voting wow. when you're not a citizen of the United States. And the law is that you have to be deported. There is no defense. So whether you knowingly voted or whether you accidentally voted or, or what, there is no defense. So I found out about that law in 2004. Of course, I had ceased voting after I found out about that law. Of course, as I'm applying for citizenship, there's that question again, have you ever uh, claimed to be a, a citizen of the United States? Of course, the answer is no. And then it says, have you ever voted? All right, on the application. And so, of course, the answer is yes. Before I turned in the application, I went and spoke to an attorney, and the attorney says, trust me, you don't even want to go there. Because you voted, just remain a permanent resident and, and don't worry about uh, becoming a citizen. And then other attorneys say, oh, just go ahead and say you've never voted. They'll never find out, and, and you'll still be a citizen, and you'll live in this great country, and so on and so forth. But I just didn't want to be dishonest and whatnot. So then, in the process of time, we got involved with some of the governmental leaders, and they said, yes, go ahead and apply for your citizenship. And if push comes to shove, we'll help you. That way you don't have to be deported. But in the process of time, <laughs> they were not available to help me. So we were kind of stuck again. After I turned in the application, we were told that I needed to attend a deportation hearing and hairy, hairy, hairy <laughs> situation. Wow. And you have a family at this point. And I have a family. And so we decided that I didn't want to be a citizen anymore. We wanted to file for cancellation of deportation and stop the whole process. But unfortunately, the ball was already rolling and we couldn't undo what was done. There was a, a, a date set to have a deportation trial. And so then we decided to file for hardship because if I was to go back to Nigeria, well, see, because the government doesn't really care what happens to the immigrant. They care more about what happens to the citizen, which would be my wife and our children. So if I was to be sent back to Nigeria, first of all, the median income is $150 a month. <laughs> so I could not live there and, I, and support um, my wife and our children over here. Or even help. Exactly. And she couldn't come over there because the technology is not as advanced to be able to help her stay healthy because she has a pacemaker. And so we are stuck. Again, so we applied. And so the trial now was accepted for hardship and uh, how my deportation would affect the, the family. Um, the judge ruled in my favor. <laughs> oh, good. And so I was able to stay and he encouraged me to 
apply for citizenship and become a, a citizen of the United States, prosper in this great country. And, and you're a U.S. citizen now. <laughs> and I am a U.S. citizen as of last year. So. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And you had left Nigeria originally for education, so you don't have anyone that's upset with you back there, do you? Oh, no, 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 not at all. Not at all. We can share this freely. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. <laughs> Sometimes that's not the case. In the course of getting to know you, I have gotten to know your family a bit, and wow, they are amazing. And, <laughs> and your daughter's wedding just a few days ago was amazing. And I, I just, I couldn't admire people more than you. So congratulations on <laughs> landing the plane and getting out and solving this life challenge and such. And, and it's just amazing. <laughs> also, kind. as I do a lot of the time, I when I work with anybody, I, I dig into their work. And I, I don't, if I get a client that's selling seven. 47s. Uh, I don't try to go compete with Boeing at clients or anything, but if there's something that I can experience reasonably, you know, I've been out working with you literally uh, selling your water systems in and you have people selling, but you also go out and do it still as successful as you are. I think some of your good salespeople can sell a, a water system in a new development. And, and again, this is why we're outside. This is your domain, the residential pockets of a different part of a valley. And they go door to door. They do probably one every two hours, I think, in, in getting those installs. Yeah. Uh, I worked really hard. And I got to maybe two an hour, sometimes three, but most of the time two over those several days that I did it. Uh, and then you sometimes get like five or six. I mean, what's your record in an hour? Uh, I've done 11 in Holy an hour. Cow. So, you know, whatever type of sales someone's in or marketing someone's in, even any type of work, the, the, the contrast in productivity between one of anything an hour and 11 an hour is, is astounding. And it's no wonder you become successful and you got your sextuplet wide trailer now, so to speak, right? So I, I think a big part of your success in that particular occupation, not just as an executive, not just as an entrepreneur, but as a salesperson, is your ability to build relationships, which is, uh, which is instantly noticeable when, when you get to know you. Um, but what I, what I also think is interesting is, is really how you picked apart the task of how to make that happen. The thing is, I believe a salesperson has to believe in their product, right? Mm -hmm. And so I believe that it's very apparent to our customers if I am sold or not, right? And, um, and of course, I try to be enthusiastic <laughs> about what I'm doing. And believe it or not, we, ask, we, we, actually, we actually buy from people that we like. It's just, it's just what we do. And, uh, and so when I'm out there working, and again, I don't want to be one of those uh, business owners that um, likes to just sit there and count their money and <laughs> watching everybody else work, okay? And the fact that I go out and I work also with our employees, then uh, it kind of brings us all together because I'm experiencing what they're experiencing and um, we're basically on the same level. As I continue to work and as I continue to succeed, it fuels my desire to succeed even more. And again, but relationships, if you are a good, honest individual, I think people can sense that as well, right? And it's not necessarily all the flashy sales techniques that you're using or whatever, but they just like you. <laughs> and because they like you, and because you have what they're interested in, they want to buy. Well, I think there's another element too uh, that's really interesting that I think is far less important than what you just said. But the fact that you just didn't pick up a product of some manufacturer and start selling it as is off the shelf, that you did apply a little bit of innovation to that. And, and you dug into the minds of the customers in the particular cities around the United States that you work in. And then you also networked a little bit and you, you reached out to people that had done it and done similar things door to door and, and, and developed an expertise. And then you just, like you said, you rolled up your sleeve and you went into the space of the problem. You experienced these bold encounters with customers. 
But tell me a little bit about that innovative process to just try to create a little bit of a differentiator so that it's legitimately more valuable to people that you sell it to because that's what innovation is all about. Yeah, and you know, there is no cookie cutter process. I, the way that I started initially is I, I did a lot of trial and error. Even today, I'm still learning and I'm always, always, always learning. I remember being in a home once upon a time. I was talking to a couple about water softener and in the process of our conversation they were sold they were ready to purchase the equipment and and uh but then i just kept talking and then i kept talking and because i kept talking they had more questions and then before you know it now they want to think about it <laughs> right okay so i'm sure i will never forget that right because when people are ready to buy you gotta you gotta close the deal right then and there right and you gotta stop talking got to tell people what you're doing, um, uh, help them understand how it could benefit them. And then, I mean, if they're ready to buy, they buy. If they're not ready to buy, well, don't just, don't just keep pushing it because they are people that are waiting for it. <laughs> In as much as I have gathered a bunch of different uh, ways of doing things, it was extremely important for me to be able to mold it and shape it and come up with what works for me, right? And so the way that I do business, um, that kind of uh, business, is, might be a little bit different than somebody else in our same company that does the exact same thing. And so uh, not only do you have to believe it yourself, but you also have to do it your way, right? And the way that comes out most natural, uh, because it is your way, right? And then you don't have to try to be something that you're not. And people can often sense that. And you innovated this new uh, product that's, that's different that it wasn't just because the customer needed it, but you also were trying to fit a, an overlap with what you really believe would be helpful so that you knew you were out there selling something different and better and you believed in it. Absolutely. And again, if, if I'm out there just chasing the dollar, people can sense that, right? And if I'm out there trying to genuinely provide them with something that would benefit their family, they can sense that as well. Fortunately, they kind of um, intersect, right? And, when, and if they can see the benefit and they can see that it's a fair price and they can see that they like the individual that they're dealing with, well, it's a no-brainer. I just was at a client and, and two of the reps said, look, what we sell is not able to be differentiated. It's a piece of paper. It comes from another company. It's a different type of business. It's a service, but it's a, this program, they feel like, it can't be differentiated. And what I'm hearing from your example is you can be the differentiator. The way that you relate to them, the way you decide to interact with them and serve them. Uh, even if you don't end up servicing these systems personally after your personal touch, just checking in briefly and, and paying attention to those people can be a difference, even if it's the exact same program. But yours, yours has been differentiated, so you have both going for you. Yeah, and I've, I've had experiences where People have said to me, you stopped at my home two years ago, right? <laughs> and you spoke to me at the time. We weren't um, ready uh, to move forward, but we were so impressed. And so uh, that's why we kept your information. And now we're ready. Come and sell us this particular product. And so we're always selling and being forthright and, and actually trying to provide something that would benefit other people. And we may not get a sale right here and there right now, but, you know, Hopefully in the future we might get that same sale just because of who we choose to be. That's great. Before I ask you the last question, I just want to thank you for your example. <laughs> I really think hearing your forgiveness and why you forgave and to the degree you forgave is an incredible life lesson for anyone who hears what you just told us. I also think the persistence and, and the willing to battle through different environments, new places, new people to the point where you're, uh, willing to create relationships that really matter and are real and genuine and, and you really are trying to improve the lives of other people, you should be congratulated and want to thank you for all the people that will listen to this. Uh, just finally, if you had to give one piece of advice for someone who truly is stuck at work, what would it be? And then the second part of that question is, once they get unstuck, to really break through and go create something amazing. What is your piece of advice there? If you're going through a, a difficult time, keep going, right? <laughs> because of course you're going to get through it. Of course you're going to get through it. And if you believe you can, you will. Because we weren't meant to stay stuck. We're, that's just not how we're built. 
right? And so uh, there is a way. There's always a way. And again, it might not just be you. It might be maybe having to put your head together with a few people, but you can find a way. There is a solution. Just keep going and, and keep persevering and keep persisting and eventually you'll overcome. And at the same time though, once you overcome and in the process of overcoming, shoot for the moon, right? I mean, try to, to envision um, succeeding at a level that is uncommon. Shoot for the moon and, and believe that you can. And the, the fact that you believe that you can will open up doors that would otherwise be closed to you. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. Thank you, Agbor. Agbor, first of Nigeria, now of the United States of America. We are glad to have you, and I am glad to have you in my life now. I really appreciate it. Likewise, Mark, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you enjoyed it, please share this episode with a friend that needs a breakthrough. Post this on social media and add my website, tag my YouTube page, or just text markspencercook.com to a friend or message that link on Instagram right now. Also, make sure to subscribe on my site at markspencercook.com to stay up to date on all the latest advice on how to unstick priorities to create breakthroughs. I'm so grateful that you listened today. And remember, you have people rooting for you. They love you and want you to make your breakthrough. That includes us too. Take the first step now. You know what time it is. It's time to go create a breakthrough for your work in life. And we'll see you there.